Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for your calling upon our lives. We thank you that you call us to be Christians, not just in how we worship or, or how we gather or how we believe, but also in how we live our lives. And so we pray, oh God, that, um, that you would remind us this morning of how we can be more grateful people and how we can indeed uh, share our blessings and just be grateful for, for what you've given us, how you've met our needs. Lord, we ask this uh, in Christ's name, and we ask, Lord, that as we come to your word, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, anoint the reading and the proclamation of your word, that you'd open our eyes and our hearts to see what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that the words today would not in any way be my words, but be your words for your people. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. At the beginning of this year, I, I shared with you all uh, some of the more traditional disciplines or, or practices of faith. Uh, we consider disciplines like, like Bible reading and, and uh, prayer and service and evangelism and worship, and those are pretty traditional disciplines. You can find them in almost any book on spiritual disciplines, like uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. But several years ago, I had the privilege of joining with fellow ministers to study a book edited by uh, Dorothy Bass and, a, and written by a, a number of authors, and the book was titled Practicing Our Faith. The beauty of this book is that it urges us to go beyond what we typically think when we think spiritual disciplines and to consider all of life as an opportunity to practice our faith. Therefore, Bass and others consider practices like honoring the body, hospitality, household economics, testimony, and singing, just to name a few. So beginning today, just after the midpoint of the year, I want to consider some of these uh, disciplines or practices beyond the traditional. And we're going to begin today with the discipline of household economics which includes a, a, a bit of a discipline of some simplicity in our lives. I'll share a number of biblical references, but let's begin with just one text that I believe teaches us something about household economics. It's found in Exodus 16, and I, I hope you'll see that this text urges us to trust that God is sufficient to meet our daily needs. The Israelites have just left Egypt, and they've They've begun to grumble. Uh, they do not have enough food to eat. And God's heard their grumbling, and he's promised uh, in verse 12, say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Continue on in verse 13. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the, when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Or that can also be translated, it is manna. That's what manna means. Manna means, what is it? They didn't know. 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then where I want to focus today, verses 16 to 21, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which is about two quarts, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Thanks be to God for his holy word. When he was a, <clears throat> a kid, comedian Jerry Seinfeld says, anytime he asked his mother to buy him something, she always replied, what do I look like, a bank? Seinfeld says, you know, if you think about it, when you're 10 years old, your parents are the bank. They're the only place you can go to get money when you're 10. I mean, if I'm 10 years old, can I walk into Chase Manhattan? The teller's going to say, what do I look like, your mother? Seinfeld is correct, is he not? When we're kids, parents are our banks. Well, parents and grandparents. They're the ones who teach us something about money, either how to manage it or how not to manage it. Home is where children might learn what we're calling this morning the practice of household economics. But what is that? Well, household or home is, again, where we first learn to live, obviously. Home is where we, we learn about relationships. Home is where we interact with people. Home is where most of us first learn to work. We have chores to do at home. And as I've already stated, home is one of the places we begin to learn about economics. But what do we mean here by, by economics? Of course, the word suggests things like money and markets and investments and trade and taxes and profits and loss. But the word e economics is from the root, uh, the Greek word is oikos, which means literally household, household. So at its root, economics means the management of our household. And when Dorothy Bass and others speak of the discipline of household economics, they're speaking about the well-being, the livelihood of the whole household. And they're not just talking about our household, they're talking about households across the nation and households around the world, that we're to seek after the, the goodness, the well-being of every household. So what makes for good household economics? What is good for the livelihood of the whole household? Well, certainly the world around us has a perspective or two. The world says, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Think about it. Billions of marketing dollars are spent worldwide to make an array of products and services seem very 
attractive to us. Advertising, by its very nature, is designed to make us want something. And notice how advertising almost seems to portray an emergency, or at least a sense of urgency. Act now. Limited time only. While supplies last, we only have two left in stock. Click the button now. Even Christian suppliers send email ads which begin with sentences or phrases like, free shipping ends today. Lowest price ever. This may be the best book ever on spiritual disciplines. Don't miss out. And of course, advertising so often blurs the lines between needs and desires by subtly and sometimes not so subtly saying, you deserve it. You need it. You earned it. And advertisement isn't the only factor in our uh, temptation to accumulate. Think about it. Once upon a time, we actually had to leave home to buy something. Now you just move a mouse a little bit, click the keyboard a little bit, it's delivered to your door two days later. Maybe three or four, but you eventually get it. The world around us urges us to accumulate. Uh, Another perspective our world gives us is mine, mine, mine. Someone has put it this way. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it is mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with it and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Oh, and if it's broken, well, then it can be yours. Admittedly, some of these are a bit extreme, but, but it makes the point that in our American culture, folks, too much of it's all about me. It's all about us. It's all about what I want. What, what's the biblical view of economics? I believe the Bible teaches a more disciplined uh, and balanced approach. Now, some of you might immediately react and say, well, I don't know about that, Danny. Remember, Jesus told the rich young man to give everything away. I mean, that sounds like an extremity on the other end of the spectrum to me. And that's exactly the point. That was an extreme situation. If you read that story carefully, you'll see that the young man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him an extremely difficult, if not impossible, task. Give all your money away to demonstrate that no one can do enough to gain eternal life. We must trust in God's grace in Christ. But I believe the overarching principle of economics in the Bible is not a calling for every Christian to take a vow of poverty or for every Christian to give everything away. It's not a call to accept poverty over against riches or to give everything away over against the world's view of accumulation. The biblical view is what I would call a more balanced and wise and sensible and practical view. Consider our Exodus text, verse 16. God provided manna sufficient for the Israelites' daily needs. That's what we read there. Each one of you, as much as he can eat. 
The people were together enough to supply their daily needs. They were together about two quarts of the manna, two quarts per person. They were together enough for that day and to trust God for the next day's provision. The only day that was the exception was, was the day before the Sabbath, and they were together two days worth so they could rest on the Sabbath. Our loving God wanted to provide for the people. He wanted them to have what they needed. But at the same time, verse 19 and 20, he didn't want them to hoard up the manna. In fact, when they tried to hoard it up, what did it do? It spoiled. It rotted. Now, now don't take this text to the extreme as, as a teaching about we shouldn't have any savings or we shouldn't have any extra. There's other places in the Bible that clearly point to savings. Proverbs 13, 11, for example, says wealth gained hastily. And the word hastily refers to fraud. Wealth gained by fraud will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You see, there's nothing wrong with an increase. There's nothing wrong with savings. But there must be a balanced approach. The same book of Proverbs, also Proverbs 15, 16, says better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Or consider the life of Jesus and the disciples. It's clear they were not wealthy. But they apparently had a little money. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have needed Judas to be their treasurer. It's a question, folks, of, of what or whom do we worship? It's a question of, of what or whom do we trust? It's, it's a question of having enough for our needs as opposed to enough for our greeds. Having a little extra is a good thing. Hoarding is not. The biblical model of household economics is also, as Heather shared, is one of sharing. We don't have to give it all away, but we are called to share some of God's blessings with others. Going all the way back to the Levitical law, the Bible teaches you and I to bless others. Consider Leviticus 19 verses 9 to 10 we have up here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Verse 10. And, when, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. There's a calling here instead of keeping everything to leave some for the poor. To leave some for the sojourner to leave some for the transient who's passing through. John the Baptist taught in Luke 3, if you have two tunics, two coats, give one away. And with food, do likewise. Jesus told a, a well-known parable about a Samaritan who went above and beyond to help an injured man, a total stranger. James, in his discussion of how faith must be accompanied by works, wrote chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things they need, what good is that? What good is that? You see, the world may say, accumulate, accumulate in its mind, but we're called to seek not after our greeds, but after our needs. We're called not to hoard, 
but to share our blessings. We're to seek the good of our household. We're to provide for our families, certainly. But we're also to be concerned for the good of other households. What might it look like to strike the balance in our homes? Richard Foster has helped me uh, see some of these ideas from his book, Celebration of Discipline. But as he warns, I will warn you. Uh, any attempt to give a specific application runs the risk of becoming legalism. Don't take what I'm about to share as every Christian ought to do this. Take what I'm about to share as simply suggestions that might encourage you and I to be better stewards of our own household economics. Keep in mind that it's a call to not hoard. It's a call to share. It's a call to, a, to maybe a simpler way of living for Christ. First of all, you might buy things that are useful rather than buying things for their prestige. Think of your home. You might buy it in terms of its usability and sharing it with others and less in terms of impressing others. You might also think about rejecting things that cause impulse buying unsubscribe from retailers promotional emails please hit that unsubscribe button if you watch a lot of television you might consider recording it so you can fast forward through the commercials later although they've gotten smart about that they they make you watch a certain amount of the commercials these days i would urge you to avoid digital window shopping just because you're bored Avoid digital window shopping just because you're bored. I would urge us to be a skeptic of all the buy now, pay later schemes. Listen, I know we have to borrow money for our homes. I know most of us have to borrow money for automobiles. But as a nation, we consumers owe way too much money for way too many things we do not need. And many of which, after we get them, we do not want them. And we never use them. I know I'm meddling. But it's part of simplifying our lives. I think another thing we can develop is just a good habit, folks, of, of giving stuff away. Of giving stuff away. Some people have developed the habit, for example, of one thing in equals one thing out. In my case, <laughs> it means not wearing something until it's totally worn out. Instead, it means when I get something new, I ought to give some, uh, something I have to an individual or I ought to take it down to my friend's closet. I wear my stuff till it's so worn out, my friend's closet wouldn't take it. So I'm at a point where I need to go one thing in, two or three things uh, out. Maybe it's just bringing your change the second Sunday of the month on Missions for Change Sunday and just say, I'm going to bring my change because it goes to the Patrick County Food Bank to buy food for others. Maybe it's giving of one of the most precious commodities we have, and that's our time to a lonely neighbor. 
Maybe it's anonymously buying a stranger's or a neighbor's meal at a restaurant. I was sitting sometime a couple years ago with a group of guys here in town eating a meal. And we went to pay someone I had paid for all of our meals. I think I know who did it. They never said. I never asked them. I wasn't going to rob them of their blessing. But it's just a kind gesture to give to others. Just a few ideas of ways that you, you and I can share some of God's blessings. And, and you can think of many others. <laughs> this notion of household economics may be a totally new concept to you. Further, I know we're in a difficult economy right now. I know that. It's a tough time to preach a sermon like this. I'm concerned for all of us. I'm especially concerned for our young families and people with very limited income and people with limited retirement. So I pray the Lord will continue to provide for us and the Lord will continue to take care of our personal household economics. But we were also born for such a time as this. We were born for this time to have enough without hoarding, to demonstrate the love of neighbor by sharing some of our blessings. We were born for a time like this to practice biblical household economics when the world around us is saying, accumulate, 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 mine, mine, mine. We're called to have enough, but to share our blessings. Let's pray to God. Lord, this is a tough lesson, especially in these particular days. And Lord, if there's one really struggling, struggling right now with, with their finances, this, this message may not really apply to them this morning. Maybe, maybe they need to receive a blessing. But for many of us, this is also a time when we can recognize that we were born for this time, that we've been blessed and we can prove to others that you're sufficient for our needs. This is a time when you've, you've called us to be grateful, when you're reminding us that that you've got this, that you're meeting our needs. This is a time for, for some of us that you've called us just to reach out with a blessing to others. Not so much a hand out, but a hand up. So Lord, we pray that we would be good stewards of our own personal household economics. We pray that we'd be good stewards of the economics of this household, your church. We pray that we would, in all things, do them for the glory of your name and the well-being not only of our household, but the households of the others around us. This we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and forevermore. Amen.